0: Franwise presents What's Your Effing Business, a podcast about franchising. Here's your host, Marianne O'Connell.
1: Hi, welcome to What's Your Effing Business. I'm Marianne O'Connell. I am the president and founder of Franwise. We are franchise counselors that specialize in operations and documentation. We're doing a special series on this podcast that's called Builders and Growers. We're looking at how we get those people who have great entrepreneurial passion past that building phase where they can grow that business into the maximum heights it can reach. And today we have uh, the COO of NRD Capital, Susan Beth, and Susan has been a builder, a grower, and now she's growing multiple brands. Susan, welcome to What's Your Effing Business. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, first let's tell people, I always assume everyone knows what NRD Capital does, but can you give us a brief rundown on what you're about? Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So NRD
0: Capital is a private equity fund that invests predominantly in franchise businesses and multi-unit businesses. So we have uh, four restaurant companies in our current portfolio, uh, two of which are predominantly franchised and two of which are uh, predominantly company owned. And then we also have Um, our most recent acquisition, which is Altitude Trampoline Park. So four restaurants and one trampoline park. And then um, we're always looking for other uh, business opportunities, but they have to be multi-unit or franchise-related
1: in some way. So would the advice there be eat after you go to the trampoline park?
0: You know, you definitely don't want to go to Fuzzy's Taco (laughs) Shop before you start jumping.
1: So can you give us your background? How did you... What's your intro into franchising and how did you end up at NRD?
0: yeah it's uh, i'll try and do the reader's digest version but uh so my parents are the founders of the nation's largest self-serve car wash chain um they've been a part of the construction of over 700 of them over the course of their uh nearly 45 year career and uh, my mom was three months pregnant with me putting the roof on the very first car wash she ever built so um, i have literally been in business my entire life uh, started working when i was four became a franchisee for the first time when i was 19. Um, built my first store from the ground up when I was 23 or so. Then came over to the franchisor side of the business after converting our family business, Superwash Car Washes, from a licensing business model to a franchise business model. So that got me into franchising in the early 2000s. Um, and then I worked my way up through the ranks of the family business. I spent about eight years as a multi unit franchisee. Um, Along the way, I started my professional speaking career to become a professional motivational speaker to the franchise world. Um, We founded a business called Franchise Capital Exchange, which was an event-based business to pair um, uh, franchisors who were looking for capital with groups like I am now the COO of that have capital to invest in businesses, ultimately became the chief operating officer of our family business, and then left in December of 2014 to uh, join my now partner, Aziz Hashim, uh, in the starting of our of our private equity fund, NRD Capital.
1: That's quite an arc.
0: Yeah, it is quite an arc.
1: <laughs> so I had the pleasure of working with you and eventually taking over Franchise Capital Exchange. And when we, let's explain quickly, it was just as you were saying, um, I referred to it in a more casual way, it was like a dating service for brands to equity. and. People got coached on how to make a good pitch to the equity funds, um, how to recognize what they needed and ask for it. And I think that's a lot of the genesis of what this series, um, this season is about. So when we were doing Franchise Capital Exchange together, let's just call it FCX, it's going to be faster. Mm -hmm. um, We saw a lot of businesses that were started by very bright people with great ideas and great enthusiasm, but they seem to hit a wall. Do you see that as you're analyzing franchises out there? And is there a path past the wall that you see?
0: Yeah, I definitely see it. But I think more importantly than seeing it, I've lived it, right? I've been that person that needed to step out of the way for a business to have the next kind of chance. Obviously, the family business has been around for nearly 45 years. So I've lived different kind of inflection points, if you will, um, in that business as well. So I would say absolutely. And I would say that how do you get past the wall is knowing having a decision whether this is going to be kind of your life's work, or if you're here, Just for a period of time to be the founder and then to pass it on to folks that are more kind of what's traditionally called professional management. Um, I was very fortunate when I was young, probably like 18 where I had access to a young entrepreneur. And she made a statement that totally didn't make sense to me at the time, but does now. And she said, I'm a she's, she was a serial entrepreneur and she said, if I'm in a business that I start longer than seven years, I've failed. Well, I had been in the throes of the family business at that point for, you know, 18 years of my life. And we had planned to keep the family business in the family and that has happened. So for her to say, if I'm here after seven years, then I've failed made no sense to me in my kind of you know teen years but it does now many years later um because the serial entrepreneurs and the founders um i think you're referring to them as the as the builders right the builders they're they're there for a very specific purpose and for it to truly have its highest level or highest chance of being optimized Typically, you'll see those entrepreneurs step out and bring in the growers. So that was a really interesting time in my life to hear that.
1: Sometimes those messages come when you don't need them, but at least you had the forethought to keep it in the back of your head. I was going
0: to say, "to It's like the one thing I have remembered." We all know how bad (laughs) my memory is, (laughs) so that's a good thing that that one stuck with me.
1: And do you ever see a path where the founder, that that builder has been able to blow through the wall, maybe complement him or herself with the right talent? Yep, absolutely.
0: And I think that's, you, you just nailed it. So I don't know that there's much more I can contribute, but it really is about then surrounding yourself with the team, not only of your support team, but your advisory team. And I will say that that is something I'm incredibly proud of um, is that I believe that I do a really good job of surrounding myself with people who have Better skills than me that are smarter than me that have completely different talents than I do. And I draw as much feedback. I don't always take it very well. (laughs) I'm not exceptionally good at receiving critical feedback all that well, but I do internalize it. And then I will, once I get past my my poor little ego being hurt, I will um, act on it. And I think that's really important. If you're going to stay in a business that you founded to then have people who can help you pick your, pick your head up. Um, And I often use the phrase that sometimes we're so close to the trees. We don't even know we're in a forest. And so to then surround yourself with people who have a much broader or different macro view, I think can really be beneficial.
1: So how were you able to, to assess what skills you had, which ones you needed? That's, if that was easy, none of us would be in therapy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, um, I think one of my greatest strengths um, is also one of my greatest weaknesses, and that is that I am probably too self-aware. Um, and so I, I, it's just something that's in me. I can generally say, wow, Susan, you did that really well, or boy, you messed it up. And more often than not, I'm going to assume that I messed it up. So, um, for instance, I know that I, I am not a strong financial mind. Like that's not what anybody would hire me for, but what I do know that I'm really good at is building wonderful teams of people around me who are phenomenal at that, who have the ability to translate that information to me so that I can go act on it. Um, but I would just say, look, always again, surrounding yourself with people who will, Who will be honest and candid with you? I think that's obviously part of what I value so much in our friendship is the conversations we've had over the years. And I tend to to try and always surround myself with people who will help me kick my own butt and uh, get back to work. But, you know, not just surrounding yourself with people who are there to to shake their head yes and tell you what you want to hear. I think that's also an important part of the kind of assessment phase. Um, We can't all be good at all things, nor should we try to be.
1: No, the, the 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 idea of a Renaissance man wouldn't be so extraordinary if we were all that. Um, so, in your former life, when you were with Superwash, you were still out in the field. I remember being with you one day when you actually shot soap in your eye. So. That was such a great day. I mean, minus the soap in my eye, but it was such a great day. Yes so how did you make the transition you're not doing that now now you're supervising and i think for some people me have i mean this is the third business i've started so i know that feeling in the beginning you're it's like an adrenaline rush or you know being kind of an action junkie how did you make that transition so that there are franchisors who are listening going well i never i don't want to be a manager of people i don't want to manage processes but you were able to successfully make that transition. you have any good tips for that? Yeah, I don't know that they're
0: good tips. It's just how I processed through it. But, um, you know, for me, and I actually just reviewed this with somebody the other day. So I have been out of the family business, so a true operator role, for five and a half years now. Can you believe that?
1: Five no. and a half
0: years has flown by um on some days and others not so much but so i've been out of the true operator role for about five and a half years and for me the real opportunity to move to nrd capital and to do what aziz and i and our team are doing here was about my ability to hopefully positively impact more people that's what it was about for me so when i was an operator in a single company wonderful experience i had you know, a couple hundred people that I was able to, to, to touch. And now when I come do this at NRD, it's five companies that I get to interact with leadership teams and then their teams and then the field teams. So it's just about ripple effect for me and hopefully having the opportunity to learn from and positively impact others. I will tell you, so back when COVID started, um, which I kind of use March 16th as sort of the, D-Day, if you will, it was that Monday after all the, you know, the MBA shut down the previous Wednesday, so on and so forth. Um, I think about that day as sort of D-Day. And that week of March 16th was probably one of the hardest weeks of my career. And I'll tell you why. Because it was the first time in crisis that I had been not on the operator side where I could go do something right wow. i was in a supervisory role a coaching role a support role and the only thing i could do was make phone calls to my leadership teams and to my team and say what can i do to help or you know do you need to talk how's your how's your mental status right because it was so so hard but the the analogy that i've drawn and and i i'm so respectful of our military that i hope i'm not overstepping here but is how I envision a retired soldier potentially feeling. Right, They've come off the battlefield and they're at home, retired, and war breaks out. I have to assume that every fiber of your being calls for you to saddle up and go back and be on the front lines with your brethren fighting the good fight. That's exactly how I felt. Every fiber of my being called for me to saddle up and go do something. But I couldn't, that wasn't, that's not my role anymore.
1: But that's interesting. I think for any executive, no matter what, what field we're talking about, um, there are times when keeping that, that big vision and being the guy on the top who's taking the calls and keeping everybody calm and starting to see the forest you were talking about before, that's more important than being in the trenches and doing and in the franchise world, it was the franchisees that had to keep going yeah. every single day. Though I will say, I don't think I have ever known a time when franchise or worth was more on display and more important than it's been through this pandemic. And for those of you listening, we are recording this in the first week of August. So we're into month six, but who knows what happens next? Um, but I think... People like you being able to direct the troops. Um, now I have this vision. Now that you've given military, I'm picturing the guy with the the map on the table, and you know the little push things are moving the battleships around. Um, it's it's important. So we've focused, and in the conversations prior to this, I know I've been focusing on what do those builders need to keep to get to get bigger, but. I want to ask you, because you're working with brands that had a level of success, you're taking them to greater levels of success, what advice do you have for the people who drop in as the growers, as I'm saying, those who are able to see opportunity in a brand and expand it? What do they need to bring to the table?
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, it's it's discipline, but it's a different kind of discipline and so if i can make a a parallel back or maybe not a parallel but a connection between the builders and the growers right when i'm wearing my builder hat you have to have discipline to stay very focused on what you are setting out to do because there's so much opportunity that, it, that you could try and do a whole bunch of things that are at your, you know, at your disposal, but you're probably going to do a bunch of things not very well, as opposed to if you stay disciplined and do the one or two key things that you set out to achieve with that business really, really well, right? So it's that type of discipline that I think the, the builders need. And then when the growers come in, it's a different kind of discipline, but yet discipline nonetheless. It's discipline to hold people accountable. It's discipline to a growth plan, right? I am not a fan or supportive of kind of unfettered growth that just, yes, you know, in the world of franchising, if you can fog a mirror and write a $20,000 check, you're in. Like, because what we want to do is we want to show a snow pipeline sold, but, you know, not opened pipeline of 500 stores or a thousand stores because it gets the media and it gets the hype. That's not my style. Um, I believe that the great growers that I have been around are incredibly disciplined about the way that they grow brands, not not only from a franchisee that they bring in, the geographies that they cover, right? They don't do this scattershot, I'm going to go New York, California, then I'm going to put one in Florida, maybe one in Idaho because I had somebody call, right? Right. It takes discipline to say, here's how we're going to grow. We're going to grow very strategically. We're going to grow very aggressively in some cases, but we're going to be really smart about it. And I think it's the same in the way we support teams and franchisees on the ops side. So it's still discipline, but it's this discipline with a level of accountability that the builders kind of, right? You have discipline, but your accountability is a little bit out the window because you're just
1: trying to build the plane while you're flying it. I think it's also a mem- a, a, a portion of faith that you have to have faith that what you're doing, what this business was in the first place is worth. It's like a kid. I'm not going to give my kid to anybody. I have, I have, if I'm going to adopt my kid out, I'm going to, I'm going to check out who that's, who's going to get them. And the same thing should be happening with franchise development. And that's really part of what, what's your effing business That title was all about is let's stay focused on what the core of franchising is, whether you're on that growth phase, um, you know, the early development phase, or you're taking it to its, um, its zenith, you have to remember what you're about. And again, I think the COVID, if there's a good thing that came of it, it's that it helped people refocus. Think about it for you brands out there that um, very often I see in an FDD where it'll say, If we decide to set up a marketing fund it'll be two percent no take it from day one because those people that had a fund were able to get new messaging out to the public you know whether it was curbside pickup or a special on pizza delivery whatever it was going to be they were there those of you who had been collecting your tech funds and managing your royalty stream well you were able to make technological changes so there are lots of lessons to learn here, no matter where you are on that builder grower spectrum.
0: Yeah, I would say that there are so many lessons and, I, and I, don't, uh, I don't ever need to go through COVID again. Like this can be fine as a once in a lifetime <laughs> sort of occurrence, um, but I will say, I hate the circumstances and love the innovation. Like, I love the creativity, um, both in in my local community, in the suburbs of Chicago, the way I've watched the independent restaurateurs band together to try and keep each other afloat and try and provide a great service to their guests to try and, um, you know, move product during this time to the big national chains and the way that they have thought about their business in a different way. Certainly the service providers that have had to rethink the way that they visit, you know, customers' homes and how they can enter and do so safely and, and, and build trust
1: again. Um, again, hate the circumstances, love the innovation. Great. So I know you have to run. So I'm going to ask, is there is there one last piece of information, inspiration or something you would like to leave us with?
0: Yeah, I would say, right, there's a time in a business when you're a builder that you surround yourself with generalists right people who can wear a lot of hats on any given day but they have the ability to quickly take those hats off and change them and whatever's coming at you they can respond to right and I my experience has been that as you grow a business not as a grower but as builders add to their business you will see that that team and the needs of the team start to shift right? And that's really when you start to see the true growing part of the the scale or timeline because you move from having a bunch of generalists who are very, very impactful to needing specialists. You need the heart surgeon. You need the brain surgeon. You need people who are really, really good at something very specific. And so you'll see the team needs start to shift and I think as a builder one of the hardest things is recognizing that the people who got you to 20, 30, 40 units may not be the same set of people. Doesn't mean they're not gifted, doesn't mean they're not talented, it just means we all have our time and place where we can contribute at the highest level and so being willing to find new roles or have really tough conversations when you get to the place where you need your specialists. I've seen a lot of builders hit the wall and not be able to move through that because it's people. And
1: that's the hardest thing we do. I have never heard it articulated like that, Suze. That's great. Thank you.
0: Thank you, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things, right, we move on to the specialists and and um, hopefully the the builders and those teams of generalists get to go do it again.
1: That's the fun stuff. Yeah, and that founder, if it's been seven years, I'm I'm sorry, I'm having trouble digesting that knowing how long I've been in this business, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I've also done this because this is passion for me, so, um, all righty, well, thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom. Yeah, my pleasure, thanks for um, Oh, it's it's been great. We may we may ask you back. You never know. Oh gosh, I get a part two. <laughs> if you're good. All <laughs> righty. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Again, this is What's Your Effing Business. It is produced by O'Connell and Company Inc., and it is produced and um, post-production by Jack Monson and his services. Thank you, Jack. And our theme music was recorded and written by Sean O'Connell and Leviathan Brothers. Again, Susan, thank you so much. And we look forward to the next episode.